Am I wrong about that or is it just me? Uh, those would be the same thing. Uh, am I right about that or is, that, or is it just me? Is it, does it seem like that? Where, where it seems like you bring up a topic and it's like, man, it goes from zero to 60 in a hurry. Right? It goes to zero to 60 in a hurry. It's, it's loud voices on one side, loud voices on the other side. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of, of middle ground. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's so many ways for, for me to, to open, to, to, to think about opening this message this morning. But here's, here's a couple thoughts just, um, just to get us oriented. You know, you, you, um, any given Sunday, you hear one snippet. In the, in the scheme of Scripture, it's one snippet. It's a soundbite in the scheme of Scripture of what God has to say to us. So there's that, right? That it's just one small part of. On the other hand, you know, um, I, 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 I tend to think uh, about the songs that we just sang. And this is particularly fresh in my mind because of a series of podcasts that I've been listening to. Um... You are the love song we'll sing forever. That's not a phrase that most men spend a whole lot of time with in their lives. Right? Um, How many of you you don't like the idea of playing the victim? Not a big fan of playing the victim? How many of you know not wanting to be a victim doesn't mean you never get hurt? How many believe there's legitimate hurts in life? Now, you can play the victim after that, but please hear this. Not playing the victim doesn't mean, acknowledging, doesn't mean not acknowledging the hurt. Doesn't mean not acknowledging the hurt. In fact... The, the reality is that some things just need to be, what word do I want to use? Sometimes you just got to sit in the pain for a few minutes and actually deal with it. Face it, feel it, acknowledge it. There's something fundamentally unhealthy about refusing to do so. Staying there forever is not good. Letting it define the rest of your life is not good. But, but sweeping it under the carpet and pretending like it didn't happen is not good either. The message that I want to share with you is one message in the scope of Scripture. It's an opportunity for us to take an honest look and admit something. Just take an honest look and admit something. It's not the whole story. Intended to be where we dwell for the rest of time and eternity, but it is intended for us to take a look at and to be honest about for a few minutes. I think it's a vital it's a vital thing to be honest about. It follows last week's message, and I'm going to repeat what I said last week's message in an extent, at least this far, to say that this is a truth that I believe desperately needs to be acknowledged in our day. So, um, how many are familiar with the term snowflakes? 
What's a snowflake? What's a snowflake? A fragile person? What's that? Is it a compliment or an insult? It's an insult. Is that a good enough definition? It's a fragile person? A person that's easily hurt? A person that's easily e emotionally hurt, right? Easily emotionally hurt. Okay, yeah, you're always afraid you're going to offend them because everything you say is, oh, that hurts, right? Everything, right? So if I ask if we have any snowflakes here, there's not going to be any upraised hands, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to be that. Let me say it again. Not being a snowflake does not mean not acknowledging pain. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes it hurts. And there's a truth in Scripture. So, so let me just say it to you this way. Without Jesus, the world is a scary place. In many respects. Without Jesus, people have good reason to be afraid. People have good reason to worry about what they see going on in the world. People have good reason. Um, uh, how many of you how many of you were raised during the Cold War? That was part of your upbringing was you remember well the Cold War. How many of you remember mutually assured destruction? Right? How many of you remember there being a certain a certain atmosphere of fear? that place, that it was like, man, like there's these two relatively equal superpowers that are constantly mad at each other, and at any moment, one of them might press the button and the whole world goes kablooey. So for me, those were my, those were my uh, early to mid-teen years, growing up in Europe, and I remember that fear very vividly. I remember laying in bed at night because, because it was constant topic of conversation. Um, where I grew up, there were, there were spray paints. Uh, people spray painted all over the place. Yankee, go home. They hated American military bases. There were, there were communist signs everywhere. There were spray painted communist signs everywhere. It was this constant reminder that the world could explode at any moment. It could explode at any moment. It could go from cold to hot, just like that. All it would take would be the wrong provocation, the wrong set of circumstances. The reality is that for many people, life in the world is troubling. Life in the world is troubling. And this is just my suspicion. My suspicion is that if we have if we have, one, the patience, and two, the skill, and three, the willingness to build relationships with people, what we'll find out is that sooner or later, people will begin exposing to you the places in their souls where they deal with things that they would rather not deal with where they will be willing to express struggles they have that they 
really don't want to have to talk about or they don't want to have to face. And please hear this. What I want to say to you this morning is that on the authority of God's word, we need to acknowledge that we are broken people living in a broken world. We need to admit that. And then we need to be willing to face it. We need to be willing to face it. One simple way to say it would be that that's what Jesus came into the world for, to save broken people. That he is the hope of people that are desperately broken because of sin, the consequences of sin. And I want to start with what I left off with last week. And the fact of the matter is, one way to express the central message of the gospel is to say that God was in Christ reconciling the word, the world unto himself. And that, and that having done that work in Christ, he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And we are about bringing his healing into this world. Bringing his healing into the world assumes that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be healed. It, it assumes that. There's a lot that is broken that needs to be healed. Would you, would you look with me this morning at John chapter 9? And if we could get that PowerPoint up there. John chapter 9. I'd like to read the first 12 verses. We're going to mention this, this story. We're going to spend next week in this story as well. And in fact, next week we're going to focus specifically on this story. This morning I'm just going to use this story introduction to some basic Christian doctrine. Would you look with me at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12? I'm, I'm, I'm titling this message, Well, it all began. Well, it all began. And you'll see why in a moment. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither this man, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Said to him, go, wash at the pool of Siloam which is translated, sent. And so he went away and washed and came back, and came back seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore, they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and washed. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Once upon a time is the typical way to open a story, right? Once upon a time, it it's uh, it's a phrase that 
that refers to an undesignated amount of time in the past, and it's a phrase that evokes a flight of fancy and imagination once upon a time, and immediately your imagination is tickled, and you start uh, wondering what kind of mental pictures I should have about the time in the past that this story belongs to. A different way, and I put this picture up there specifically, you can imagine a couple of grandchildren spending time with granddad over the, over the campfire and saying to their grandfather, hey, grandpop, tell us that story about, and him starting the story with this phrase. Well, it all began. It's meant to do the same thing, right? It's an opening that draws you in, that, that gets your imagination going, that, that takes you to a different place in a different time. The key to the story we just read is that this man's life began blind. The story begins this way. Well, it all began with a blind baby. With a baby that was born blind. Now listen, the, the fact is, back in that day, for sure, there was no way to tell for certain if a baby was born blind. There, as long as the eyes were visibly properly formed, there would be no way to tell for sure that the baby was blind. But you would tell, you would tell by the baby's development and actions within a fairly short amount of time, this baby can't see. This baby can't see. The fact of the matter is, in this story, there's a man that had never seen a man that was born blind. It's what makes that, that latter part of the story where everyone is saying, once he's healed, is that him? Yeah, that's him. It looks like him. Nah, can't be him. Must be somebody that looks like him, but it's not him. Why? Because everybody knows that a man that was born blind has no shot at ever seeing. It's not possible. Not possible. Whatever it is, it's, a, it's something at birth that makes sight not possible. It makes sight not possible. And so they, they had a hard time reconciling the, the fact that a, a man could be born blind and then see. In fact, next week we'll see this, this again becomes a big issue even a little bit later in this story. The man had been born blind. Now, starting with, starting with a man in that condition is, is an obvious place just to pause, to start asking some questions. My brothers and sisters, um, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that one of the most important things that the world, that, that, that the church is going to be called upon to do in this world is to honestly face hard questions. Part of it's my personality. I, I'm... Um, I'm, I'm not given to 
I probably take, take too much too seriously too much of the time. If, I, if I'm going to make a mistake on one side or the other, um, if you want to pray for my family, here's the way you could pray. Lord, help them to lighten up. I think I've gotten better at it over the years, but um, I'm able to smile, I'm able to laugh, but I think about things fairly seriously. I pay attention to things, I think about them fairly seriously. So there's personality involved, but my brothers and sisters, we, we are living in an increasingly complex world, and I think that increasingly, the Christian tendency that, that maybe has been part of the church in the past to, 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 to throw out simplistic answers to complicated problems, to, to kind of rely on bumper sticker theology. Well, when God, when God closes a door, he opens a window. What does that even mean? What are you talking about? Right? And... and what happens when he doesn't open a window? What happens when he just shuts the door? <laughs> There's no window, and I don't know what to do. Right? Uh, uh, sometimes, sometimes we have to exercise ourselves to work through some things that are actually fairly challenging, both in Scripture and in life. The story begins with one of those issues. It begins with, God, what is going on when a baby's born blind? What is going on when a baby's born blind? God, if you're so good, why do babies get born blind? It's not fair. They didn't ask for it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. God, why do some babies get born blind? You know, it seems that um, seems that in a very real sense every answer that you could give to that question just raises another question well let's just go with the answer that's given in the text it was for the glory of God it was so the works of God might be displayed yeah but couldn't that have been done some other way without this man having to be blind most of his life go through all of that if you really wanted to display your works, he could have had an accident yesterday and been blinded yesterday, and then you could heal him today, and he wouldn't have had to have his whole life blind. There's, there's a lot of questions that you could come up with. I would like to look at this, at this story and just start from the premise that this man provides us with an example and an opportunity to, to be able to address some questions that are challenging, some issues that are difficult when we see circumstances that we don't have easy, uh, easy explanations for. Let me ask you to consider with me two main points that we can, I hope, profitably think about when we think about a man who was born blind. The first, the first point is what I will call, whoops, my fault. 
I'm going to flip right through this because I skipped this, and we're not going to pay attention to that. Maybe next week. The first one is what, I, is what I'll call a moral fallacy. A moral fallacy. I want to define what I believe to be a huge fallacy in our day. I realize that this morning I'm going to talk about some things that are fairly sensitive. How many of you have heard, for example, in the realm of, of sexual orientation, a person say, well, I was born homosexual? The, the, the implication of that, the way that logic seems to be working out in our world is something like this. If I was born that way, it justifies me living that way. Would you say that's true? That's the kind of line of thinking that, is, that arises from that. Now, for some, there might even be a step in between, especially when they're talking to Christians. If I'm born this way, then, then you Christians believe God made us all. God made me that way. God made me that way. And if I was born this way and God made me this way, then I can't deny who I am. I should live this way. That's who I am. I do not mean to be flippant. And, and please forgive me for sounding like this. But sometimes one might be tempted to say, I was born a white male. So I'm going to be a white male. It's interesting the things that are acceptable these days, isn't it? To say, well, I was born that way. So I recently ran across a video in which a, a mother took a young child. She had a baby sitting in a crib there. and She was doing a, a video, as many people seem to do these days. She turned the video on her baby, and she said, this is my son. As you can see, he's a white male. Therefore... Here's the books I'm reading to him, and here's the toys that I'm giving to him. Because obviously he's a white male, and therefore he's going to be a particular kind of sinner. And so the first book she pulls out for this infant she is, a, is a child's book called C is for Consent. And she's reading to this child a book called C is for Consent. Because obviously he's, he's a white male. So he's going to be a predator. And she's going to start this child's life correcting his white maleness. Now, listen, I, I'm, I'm only saying that to say, please note the double standard. To say I was born this way when you're a certain orientation is a good reason to justify I should live this way. But if you were born this way in something else that's socially unacceptable, that needs to be corrected. You shouldn't live that way. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a problem. It's a logical problem. What you see when you peel back the cover is that people are making moral judgments. And it's not really about the way you're born. It's about a moral perspective that is imposed. This is my morality. 
this is what's right or this is what's wrong. Please hear this. I want to dispel this notion right now. The way you were born doesn't factor into the equation. I was born with all kinds of sin tendencies. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. We're going to look at that in a minute. The fact that I was born that way doesn't justify me acting that way. Does not justify me living that way. I, I bring this up for one reason, and I believe this is absolutely vitally important that we acknowledge this. We need to correct this fallacy. I was born this way. God made me this way. Therefore, it must be okay. Listen to this. Christians are fighting the wrong battle. I have heard so many Christians want to debate whether or not someone was actually born that way. Please hear this. It does not matter. It does not matter. To, to look at a person and say, I'll, concede, I'll just concede the argument to you. Fine, you were born that way. Does not mean you have to concede the ground that it's okay for you to live that way. I was born with a bad temper. It doesn't justify me punching you in the face. Amen? Listen, to fight about, no, I was born with a, you weren't born with a bad temper. You, that's just a, that's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. To look at people and to say, listen, whether or not you were born that way, the, the question is, is that a moral way to live before God? Is that the right way to live your life? Is there, is there a moral lawgiver to whom we are accountable for the way we live our lives? Because if I was born with a temper and you were born with, with same-sex tendencies, what we're all saying is we were born in sin. We were born in sin. And listen... I personally, for one, am not surprised at all when people are born in sin. I, I think that's the most unnecessary argument that we could have. I'm perfectly willing to concede the, possible, the, the possibility that some people are born with certain tendencies. It doesn't change the fact of whether they're right or wrong. I have no problem admitting to you that I was born with certain tendencies that are very easily expressed sinfully. They are easily expressed sinfully. And those tendencies have had to be brought before God and repented of. I pray for grace to overcome them. You see, I put up here Psalm 51 verse 5. If you know the psalm, Psalm 51, verse 5, it's, it's I was conceived in sin. My, brother, my, my mother brought me forth in sin, in iniquity. Now, as far as we know, David was conceived by his mom and his dad. It was not an adulterous relationship. When he says, I was conceived in iniquity, He's not saying, my mom cheated on my dad, and that's why I came into the world. What he's saying is, my mom and my dad were both fallen. 
They were sinful creatures by nature. And guess what they created when they, when they conceived a child? They created a little sinful being. Just like them. That's how he was conceived in sin. You see, we all have a sin nature that is passed on to us all the way down from Adam. Why? Because every single one of us is infected by it. Salvation does not remove it from the equation. When you get saved, two saved parents don't conceive a sinless child. They pass on what they received from Adam to their kids. Your children are born into a Christian home, guess what? They're going to need to get saved someday. They're going to need Jesus someday. You know why? Because they were born with a tendency to sin, and because of that, they, like everyone else, will sin against the living God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's inevitable. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to need Jesus. It's their bend. It's their nature. It's their tendency. You see, it's vitally important for us to recognize that when David said, I was, I was conceived in iniquity, I was born in sin and conceived in iniquity, he's talking about something that is profoundly wrong with human beings when they come into this world. But they come by it honestly. They got it from mom and dad. They got it from mom and dad. Who in turn got it from mom and dad. Who in turn got it from mom and dad. Who in turn eventually got it from Adam and Eve. It's the common human condition of being broken in sin. One more thing here about this fallacy being corrected. I've already said that Christians are fighting the wrong battle. This is an interesting scripture, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15. Remember, we're, we're doing this because this man was born blind. We're facing the fact that some people, in fact, all of us, are in one way or another broken at birth. We're fighting the wrong battle to say it's not birth. In some cases, it's probably not, but in some cases, it may be. This is a, this is a, deep, a deep issue in theology. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. You see, it's scriptures like that that make Christians want to fight the battle with someone who says they have a same-sex attraction because we want to uphold God's innocence. We don't want to say that God would make you in a way that, that is sinful. It's going to move you in a sinful direction. We want to exonerate God from that crime. But I think we need to take a couple of steps here when we think about what is happening in this psalm. What does it mean that God made us, that He put us together, 
Listen, first of all, we have to acknowledge this. It's not primarily a scientific statement. And again, just bear with me for a moment here. Uh, um, my wife's in the back. Most of you know her. Uh, those of you who don't, my wife's in the very back. I'm sorry to draw attention. She's, But if you notice her, she has dark hair. I have dark hair. We weren't going to produce a blonde child. Now, there might have been someone back there in the past, like something weird could have happened, you know, there's somebody back there in the past, and how many of you know every once in a while genetics just takes on, just you go, wow, that is real, and some recessive gene comes out and you go, <laughs> where in the world did that child come from? But it's amazing how consistent genetics are. It really is remarkable, right? It happens, but it's amazing, right? Most, most people look at our family and, and, I'll say, and, and, and they'll say something like this. Mm, I could tell that was one of your children. Mm, I could tell. Right? Well, of course you can tell because that's the way it works. You see, please hear this. When we, we have to look at the fact of the way the world is designed and say it was marvelously, masterly put together in such a way that that when a child is born, you say to yourself, that is an unbelievable miracle, a creative act of God. It's, it's only God can give life. And the fact that there is life on this planet and that it functions the way it does and that children develop the way that... And the fact that, nothing, that, that most times things don't go so wrong as to be like totally wrong and the, and the fact that they come out alive, is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's marvelous. You say, wow, that's incredible. God truly, fearfully and wonderfully made. Truly, incredibly done. But please hear this. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 15, is the poetic heart of a worshiper. It's not intended to be primarily science. It's the poetic heart of a worshiper. Please hear this. Oh, see, I want to stand up, but that camera's back there. How many of you have some things that you don't like about yourself? Come on. That you would change if you could. Do you? Please hear this. The heart of the worshiper takes that thing before God and looks to God and says something like this. God, this is who I am. This is what you made me to be. God, I give it to you for your glory. God, all that I am, every strength that I have is yours to use at your disposal. And every weakness I have that I don't like about myself, Lord, I give it back to you and I trust you with it. Lord, accomplish your purposes in me. I worship you. The intention is simply this, that, God's, that God wants us as believers, listen, not because we're, we're better, than, but through worship to so yield ourselves to him that we become some of the most adjusted, well-adjusted people on planet Earth. We're born with the same frailties that everybody else is. I'm wearing glasses today. I wish I wasn't. But you know what? If I took them off, I'd be able to read my notes just fine. But I can't see a one of you. I wish it wasn't that way. But God, 
would you take this, this man whose biology isn't all that I wish it was? And would you turn my heart to look up to a day when this mortal is going to put on immortality and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption? And between here and eternity, would you use this clay vessel that just so desperately needs you? Would you find something you can do with this guy? Right? Because God, here I am, and I worship you. And then maybe the next step would be to just step back and say, God, I don't understand. I wish I could see. But God, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. That's your statement of value over my life. And I will, and I will, and I will reckon it to be so. You like me, God, the way I am. You like me the way I'm made. I'm your creature. I'm your creation. And I accept that. It's a beautiful thing in your sight. Right? Listen. For us as believers, one of the most countercultural things we could do today would be to refuse to let the world define what makes a person worth something. Be able to stand up and say, no, every single individual, no matter what they look like, no matter what their talent level is, no matter what their intellectual capacity is, every single individual is fearfully and wonderfully made valuable in the eyes of God simply by virtue of the fact that they're His creation. And then we all struggle with stuff. But they're His creation. If I dare just one more second, I want to be as blunt about this as I possibly can. I want to tell you why I believe it's important that actually we not only give up the fight of you weren't born that way, but it's actually theologically necessary that we give up that fight. Because the truth is this, the truth is this. How many of you agree God is perfect? How many mistakes does it make to now be imperfect? One. See, the, the issue is never percentages. If God is perfect, He can't make a mistake. If only one mistake is attributed to God. He's no longer God. He's not perfect. It's all it takes. It's all it takes. Let's be honest. Thankfully, it's a very rare case. How many of you know where I'm going? There are some children born that while Scripture proclaims male and female, He made them. There are occasionally children that are born displaying the characteristics of both. To say that God is clear about what should be and then to have something like that happen. I mean, listen, if, if God is directly involved in deliberately making that, there are real questions to be asked. 
about his goodness, about why a God would take a step that is so confusing like that. It's a problem. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we should view every single one of ourselves and every single person as a creative act of God in the sense of being worshipers and attributing to him the source of life. But genetics does what it does. Sometimes men are born blind. Sometimes people are born without limbs. Listen, I will say this. If you have a child that's born blind, probably the most healthy thing that you could do would be to help that child be a worshiper and to grow up understanding that they are no less God's creation than anyone else, that they are precious in his sight, and that the first thing they're going to get to see is the face of Jesus someday. But we don't necessarily need to say that, that everything we see is because God deliberately, purposefully made it that way. It's a broken world. It's a broken world. It's a broken world. And, and i got to tell you this. It's broken on every level. It's broken on every level. I think, I think this is a difficult subject to talk about. Let me move on and hopefully by the end, just a couple more minutes, we'll, we'll see something clearly that will be helpful to us. The man was broken, the man was born blind. We need to understand the fact that there are indeed broken beginnings broken beginnings. What does the scripture teach us about this? When God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, he made two people. He said they were good. They were very good. It was all good. And then he gave them a warning. He said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. He said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, and here's the way it reads in the Hebrew, is something like this. Dying, you will die. Dying, you will die. Or, dying, you will surely die. Something like that. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And wonder of all wonders, neither of them keels over dead that day. Nobody dies. At least not visibly. But what God had said was very specific. What he said was, dying, you will die. Dying, you will die. The fact of the matter is, there was a death that happened right on the spot. The moment that fruit went into their mouth, there was a death that happened. Instantaneously, there was a death. You see, the first death was a spiritual death. Disobedience separates us from fellowship with God. It kills our relationship with God. Their sin put a barrier between them and God there was a fall that took place in that moment. It was nothing short of a death, a spiritual death. They had been creatures created to enjoy fellowship with God. And from the moment they eat that fruit, they can't anymore. That's dead. 
The, the next thing we find is them hiding from God's presence in a garden. Why? Because they died. Because there's a death that's taken place. There's a death that's taken place. A spiritual death that has taken place. It's a death that doesn't allow them to face God. It's a death that means they can't step into God's presence anymore. It's a spiritual death that is a breaking of their fellowship with God. There's a brokenness in their relationship with God that has taken place. It's broken. And they can't access Him that way anymore. They have no freedom to approach God anymore. It was not possible for Adam to be at ease in God's presence after he had sinned because he was now dead spiritually. Well, when God said, dying, you will die, what he was saying was this, that spiritual death is going to have consequences and it's going to work its way out through the rest of your life. It's going to work its way out. It's going to mean this, you're also going to die soulishly. That is, your mind, your will, your emotions are no longer going to be what I created them to be. You're going to experience things, brokenness in this area that should not be. You just read the story and hear some of the things you immediately see. You want to know where defensiveness came from, where lying came from, where avoiding, avoiding your own sin came from? As soon as he falls and God says, did you eat? It was, wasn't my fault. It was the woman that you gave me. He points the finger, right? Immediately rationalization starts. Immediately our minds are no more free to just admit truth. They immediately start finding arguments to excuse themselves. The mind is lost instantaneously. It doesn't live in clear truth anymore. You want to talk about emotionally? They're hiding. They're hiding. Covered in, in the sense of guilt and shame. Tormented by the sense of guilt and shame that has, that has been the consequence of their brokenness before God. Emotionally, they're tormented. They had never experienced shame. The, the Bible is very specific that the two of them had been unclothed together in the garden for however long they had been there when God created them and they were not ashamed. But the second they fall, they're ashamed. The second they fall, all of a sudden there's another part of them that has, that has come apart, that is unhinged. It's not what it should be anymore. It's brokenness. And I've got to tell you that the brokenness, oh, before I bring that up, let me just say one more thing about the soulish brokenness of us, of us human beings. How do you think Eve felt about being thrown under the bus by her husband? Do you think that had a positive impact on their marriage? Thanks, dear. Adam, did you eat from the... I mean, the honest answer was, yes, I ate. It was the woman. 
Come on. God asked you a question. Why would you bring me into it? Right? You know what you see? You see the beginnings of, of, of relationship breakdowns. Of the ability to live together well. It happened so fast that the first two sons they produced end up with one of them killing the other one. One becomes a murderer because they can't live together in peace anymore. I'm telling you, this brokenness was deep, it was hard, it was strong, and it worked fast. And it messed things up profoundly. Profoundly. Relationships began to break. And physically, people began... Listen, you stop and think about it. Adam and Eve were not created to be mere mortals. They were supposed to eat from that tree of life. Had there not been sin, they'd still be with us today. The Bible is specific about the fact of death coming into this world through Adam's fall. It was the fall that brought this thing in, not a creation that brought it in. I, I'm sitting here today, and for the last three days, my back has been hurting right here. I've had people, my, my kids were so nice. Father's Day, they did a combined Father's Day, Mother's Day. All seven of them chipped in and bought us a Theragun. Anybody know what that is? Like, man, somebody's got to hit me with that Theragun. So I had my, my daughter and my wife were both on my back. Because my back is killing me. It's been three days. And you know what I'm thinking to myself? Well, one of the things I'm thinking to myself is, it's one more reason to look forward to heaven. Thank you, Noel. Noel looked at me and said, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> And you know why? Because I ain't getting any younger. I'm only going to get older from here. And I got to tell you this. I, I, I Listen, if some man could just enter into this with me, I would, I would appreciate some company. I miss the things that I used to be able to do. Can anybody else say amen to that? Man, I really miss some of the things I used. I remember I have a specific place at a park at a park not far from here, where with my wife and Stephen and Amanda were in the park, and I looked at it, and it was the first time I looked at something and realized, five years ago, I would have jumped over that thing, but I don't think I want to try it now. It was the first time it hit me. Man, that really stinks. I don't like that. I want to do the things I used to be able to do, and I can't. You know why? Because dying, we're dying. Having died, we're dying. We're dying. We're all on the road. And it just keeps working its way out slowly but surely. And I find myself, find myself. Then it was I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't jump as high as I used to. And I can't, and I can't. And every step of the way, my heart grows a little bit more hungry for the healing that's going to come 
when either God takes me home or Jesus comes back for me. I'm looking for it. Because I'm living in a broken body in a broken world. Man, I can't wait for the day when it all gets put right. Every once in a while I try to talk about it and some child looks at me and says, Dad, don't talk about it. Hey, my dad died. My grandparents died. The Bible calls it the way of all the earth because none of us escape it. Listen, can I say it to us this way? I, I don't mean to cause a problem here. But believer, when, when you've been... When you've been battling the moral battles of our day and you haven't wanted to give up that ground that a person could be born with sinful tendencies that are unacceptable, I want to tell you this. The world is simply more broken than you have realized. It's all broken. Spiritually, it's broken. Soulishly, it's broken. Physically, it's broken. Yes, I do recognize that that means readjusting our understanding of what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made and what it means of the creative act of God. I realize, but listen, we, we, can't let, we can't let certain dogmatism get in the way of becoming more completely instructed in God's word. Fearfully and wonderfully made is the heart of a worshiper. And there's a truth to it that must be clung to for all of time and eternity. But it doesn't mean you have to fight every scientific battle. It's a broken world. Now, I've got to close. I eliminated fellowship time. It was, I knew this was going to take time to get through this morning. Let me just close by saying this. I want to close by driving home this, this point for us to end with. My brothers and sisters... We've all acknowledged nobody here wants to be a victim. Somebody say amen to that. Listen to this. How many believe that while it doesn't instantly solve every problem, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and the hope for healing for the world is found in Jesus. Amen? How many believe that, that faith in Christ can transform you, strengthen you, help you to overcome sins that you couldn't overcome on your own, bring healing to you, wholeness to you? How many of you absolutely believe that, that the answer to human, the human condition is Jesus? Amen? How many of you are still a work in progress? How many of you ever had a marriage problem? Raise your hand high. You ever had, listen, you had just a good old-fashioned fight. It wasn't the spiritual, we had a disagreement. It was a full-blown fight. You had one of those? You know why? It's because you're broken. It's because we're broken. And listen to me. One of the most precious things that can happen is for two people to look at you, to look at each other and say, we're both broken and we had a bad moment. But man, we're in this for the rest of our lives and we're going to help each other as God's agents to bring reconciliation. We're going to do this to the glory of God. And listen to this. And if every once in a while you need some advice from somebody, why don't you get it? Amen? I'm preaching to myself.
right? Thank you. That's helpful. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying to us. Let us refuse to put on airs of perfection. Let us refuse to put on airs of perfection. Let's be a people that when somebody, please hear this, when somebody tells you what's going on in your life, make this a major point of life right now. I refuse to let my jaw drop. You know what I mean? <gasps> Never. Ever. Ever. Because I'll guarantee you if anybody knew what was inside of you, or if anybody knew what was inside of me, what I'm capable of but for the grace of God. Man, either we all have our jaws dropped or we all choose to just keep our mouths shut. Right? Because we're all in the same boat. I believe we are increasingly living in a world that is going to need healing and that the church has been called by God to bring reconciliation to the world. I might not have every answer to every problem, but I will tell you this. I can sympathize because every single one of us has tasted brokenness. And at the very least, we can walk together. Amen? It doesn't mean we stop calling sin, sin. But it means we can walk together as fallen creatures. We can walk together. We can do this together. And listen, and we can look at an outside world. And we can say, well, it would start with meeting Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Can I tell you what's been helpful to me in my life? Let me introduce you to Jesus. I'll tell you about Jesus. The church has been called not to compromise with its culture, not to accept the culture's terms, but to represent Jesus, to represent Jesus in this world. We've been called to represent Jesus. The way we do it matters. And the answers that we give matter. Let us be a people that call others to Jesus. And let us be a people that are helping each other with all of our limbs make it safely home to heaven. Encouraging one another. Maybe even sometimes correcting if it's needed. But doing it, doing it in the spirit of it's one broken person helping another broken person. With humility, not with pride. Amen? Ah. So, parts of that I wish I could have spent a lot more time on. If you think you heard something or there's something you got questions about, let's talk. Um, I will tell you this. If, well, yeah. Let's talk. We're living in a broken world. I want to I look specifically at the story next week. Yep, it was a man born blind. People are born in all sorts of conditions. And then life piles up on them. Everybody knows what this is, right? You know, I can't prove this, but here's what I've been told. I did look it up, and supposedly this is true. 
if you blew this pool cue up to the size of the earth, it's a pool ball. If you blew it up to the size of the earth, the imperfections that you can't see on the surface of it proportionally are so extreme that you would have higher heights than Mount Everest and lower lows than the deepest part of the planet. That's how messed up this ball is. It's just not big enough to see the imperfections. We Christians hide our, our brokenness well. But man, you guys have some high highs. And my brothers and sisters, we all have some low lows that we're capable of. It's just a matter of being honest about it before God and letting his word be true. And unlike this pool ball that is going to continue to deteriorate, God's at work through Christ putting us back together, smoothing out our rough edges. Amen? Would you bow with me? And, uh, and would you close in prayer this way this morning? Just take a moment. Would you ask the Lord to open your heart you know your spouse may have tried to tell you something about you that you can't see that you've been arguing with you've been defending yourself about could I ask you just to consider the possibility that in your brokenness, there might be some things about yourself that you can't see that they can. Let's be agents of reconciliation this morning. Let's be willing to face our brokenness before God. There are things about myself that I wish I didn't have to admit about myself. I would rather say and have at times defended myself But if you, would, if you would just say, Lord, I, I'm willing humbly before you to simply say, God, I'm, I'm a broken human being and I come to you the way I am. And I welcome your ongoing work in my life. It's an amazing thing how humbling ourselves in that area makes it easier for us to tolerate the brokenness that we see in other people. We enter into the same struggle, and we're all on the same side, trying to live life in a broken world. All of a sudden, you've got a lot of comrades. You've got a lot of companions. And that's my call to us this morning, is that we would have the courage to walk together, helping each other, Encouraging each other. Listen, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. There's things about me you're going to have to put up with until God changes them. Thank God for my wife and children that are willing to do that. It's just 
It's just an exercise in humility this morning. Saying, Lord, here we are before you. We acknowledge this about ourselves. Come to help us. And give us grace for each other. Give us grace for each other. Lord, there are people we all know that are struggling in their bodies. I just want to take a moment to thank you that Tom Hunsberger is recovering well from his uh, heart surgery. Would you continue to heal his body, Lord? Strengthen him. This is now his second serious episode with his heart. Touch his body. Lord, I think of people in my family that have had diagnoses in the last couple of years. Alzheimer's. Crohn's. Lord, people that are struggling, and I just ask today that you would provide help and healing for them. Lord, we're broken physically. Lord, there's a relative that is dealing with with overcoming addictions. They seem willing to overcome the addiction but not to turn to you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw that person to yourself. You would save them. And then that you would deliver them. Lord, there are multiple relationship situations that I pray for on a regular basis that just need the power of your Holy Spirit to help them. Lord, would you speak to those hearts? Lord, in my world, talking with people, I hear so many talking talking about, willing to talk about issues like depression and anxiety. And Lord, there are both lifestyle, circumstantial parts to that, and there's biological and physical parts to that. Lord, it it can be hard to know where to start. Would you touch and heal your people? Would you lead us, Lord, as we look for wellness? Lord, not so that we can be perfect and put together, 
But Lord, that we might be as whole to bless one another, to serve your kingdom together, to encourage and offer hope to people around us as we can possibly be. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? Lord, would you raise up your church in a world full of confusion in a world where the solutions that are being offered to people are simply adding destruction on top of hurt. Lord, I pray that you would would give us opportunities to touch people with the gospel and see them restored and healed. Lord, we're all in the same place. We all come to you needy. We all come to you broken. We don't want to stay there, Lord. We want your grace to work powerfully in our lives and to be that healing virtue that flows through us. Lord, we confess our need of you and we bow before you and we receive from you today. And Lord, I just want to close because this just is... is for whatever reason, it's the thing that is just so much a part of, of my prayers for your people. Lord, would you touch your people? I pray that if there are brothers and sisters here today that are in strained relationships, maybe between themselves, maybe in some extended family members, would you, would you speak to our hearts, give us wisdom, that for your glory, Lord, for your glory, that we might represent you well in this world, that we might war a good warfare against that which our enemy would want to steal and kill and destroy. I pray that you would bring reconciliation and healing and restoration between people whose relationships need to be mended. Would you give them your grace? Give us a humble spirit that is willing to look at ourselves and to extend grace to others around us. Thank you for providing Jesus Christ for us to give us hope in this life and hope for heaven in an otherwise broken world. Thank you, Lord, for being a God of reconciliation. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 All right, we've got baptism in a little bit. So uh, as soon as possible, you could head that direction. Enjoy some time to fellowship together.